You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Liam Heffernan's interview with the composer of the film Stan and Ollie, Rolf Kent. Hollywood legends Mr. Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy arrived in Britain today as they embarked on a national tour. We're doing this while we're waiting for this new picture to come together. I'm going to make sure that this tour gets off on the right foot. There it is, the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> it's amazing that you two are still going strong. Still using the same old material. There they are. Such a wonderful reception, isn't it, Ida? It's okay. <laughs> Two double acts for the price of one. Welcome to the next Best Picture podcast. I'm Liam Heffernan, and joining me is the Golden Globe nominated composer of Sideways. Uh, Rolf Kent's latest film, however, is the much typed British biopic Stan and Ollie. Uh, welcome to the show, Rolf. Hello, thank you. Um, so first and foremost, uh, I, I think we have to get this question out of the way. Um, are you going to get Oscar nominated for Stan and Ollie? <laughs> um, well, uh, your, your guess is far better than mine. You probably have a far better you have a far better appreciation of what the field looks like. Um, but uh, what, what, wouldn't that be a fun thing, though? <laughs> Exactly. I mean, it's it's criminal, really. You've you've got um, a hell of a movies in your back catalogue. In fact, I think I've got as far as saying that um, you were my favourite composer, and I didn't even realise it. Um, with films like uh, Up in the Air, oh. Downsizing, Sideways, About Schmidt, um, and also I love Wedding Crashers. Uh, my wife forced me to watch Legally Blonde, and I'm um, ashamed to say I love that too. <laughs> uh, so you've, oh, good. you've got a great selection of films to your name. Um, and I, I was just wondering, with obviously Sideways did very well for itself, um, uh, as did a few others, but if you could go back in time and give yourself an Oscar for any of your previous films, uh, which one would it be? Ooh, well, it, you know, I mean, Sideways was probably, you know, as, as you said, it got a Golden Globe nomination. So that was probably as, as close as uh, I ever got for anything. But I, I really love the score to... Uh, <laughs> hold on. I mean, I'm probably overstating it, but... Uh, but of, of, of anything I've done, I'm really happy with the score to About Schmidt. That was mm. uh, it was a very it was a very interesting film. It had certain challenges, but um, I really enjoyed the writing the music. And I know that the director Alexander Payne finds it one of his favourites uh, of our collaborations. Mm. So um, so so that was that would be uh, yeah that would be a nice one. But you know I mean to get to to get you know. As you know, you don't get in the uh, in in with a chance unless the film is doing, has done very well at the box office. So it's a, a very select, you know, it has it goes through a whole sequence of um, you know uh, obstacles in order to to contend in that world. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, um, so th- just the process then of of you composing a score to a film. Uh, how much creative license does someone like Alexander Payne give you? Um, because you worked with him a few times, right? Well, Alexander gives me a lot, actually, probably more than most. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's really pretty much the first director to hire me to do a you know a feature score, and and from from the very beginning was very much about you know what it, what is it you want to express, what is it you want to say and do. And um, and he's uh, always looks to me to sort of have a lot of personality in the in my writing, and um, so he's unusual in that. As in, you know, a lot of people are much more sort of prescriptive about what they want the music to do. Um, but uh, but all of them all of them end up sort of embracing a certain amount of character and personality in the music. 
uh, I think I, I don't really think anyone. <laughs> I think I think people who don't want that don't hire me. So um, so I, I do I do end up with a with a, a certain amount of freedom, regardless. But you know, it's still it's still sort of trying to realise the director's dream of what that screenplay is supposed to become. Yeah. And um, so that that's the guiding the guiding light always of all, all films is you know what what were they aspiring to when they. Um, when they shot it, and and how can we make that land properly? Yeah, yeah. I think there's there's a definite uh, theme to the scores that that you're responsible for. It's it's kind of this it's like staccato whimsy um, to, to to every score, if that makes any sense at all. Uh, it's about the only way I can describe it. Um, and I just yeah, wondered. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Hopefully not every score. I do, I do try <laughs> and mix it up a bit. You know, when I did, um, I did a film called Rain Over Me, and, mm. uh, and I, you know, I got a strong sense that they were going for staccato whimsy again. And I was going, oh, God, what am I going to do? I've got to find a different language to do this with, because I just didn't want to do, you know, because it's tedious when you just are asked to do the same thing twice mm. or, or 15 times. So uh, so Rain Over Me, I was very happy because I, I came up with a whole different sort of approach. Mm. And, um, and that then rubbed off on Dexter. But... Uh, um, but yeah, staccato whimsy. I'm, I'll take it. What the hell? It sounds. It could have been so much worse. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's definitely meant as a compliment. Um, do you do you find though that that your you adapted your style to suit the films that you liked watching, or did you kind of find the films and the directors um, based on what your particular style was? Uh, you know, I think it's probably more. It wasn't a question of me necessarily finding people. I mean, it's, it, it, it goes both ways. People mm. are looking for something, and they, and they decide that I'm the, you know, the, the, the right way to go. Um, I, th- I think, I think to some degree, actually, just to some large degree, um, people just like my sense of humour, and uh, and so that's kind of why it worked. And, and and that may just be the way we talk, let alone the music. Um, but I, I do get, the, you know, I, do, I was certainly given the impression. That um, composers with a, a wit in their work is uh, is not that common, and therefore, you know, being known for that, um, it probably did me uh, a lot of good in one sense, in that it, it, you know I became one of the people that they uh, look to. Mm. Um, of course, then you end up being typecast, so that you end up just getting lots of that kind of work and just think, oh, can't I do a thriller? <laughs> um, but um, uh, but but yeah, I think um, I think I got I sort of. I think people like the sense of humor and sensibility that I uh, tend to approach things with. Yeah. I mean, talking then about Stan and Ollie, because uh, obviously it's, it's about to hit cinemas. Um, it's, it's getting an awful lot of hype. Um, I was lucky enough to see it at the London Film Festival recently. And I, I guess as far as the score's concerned, it's, it's very much in the same vein um, as the sort of films that you've, you've done previously. But I feel like there's an element of pastiche there in in what you're doing because you're kind of paying tribute to the era that Stan and Ollie came from, right? Yeah, it, it was definitely uh, you know tiptoeing a, a line. Um, John Baird, the director, uh, we talked before we before we started. He talked very much about it. it needed to have a sort of contemporary feel in order to speak to a contemporary audience, but it also needed to have a you know vintage sort of legacy feel in order to connect us with that period and and, and with those characters. Mm. And um, so I, 
so yeah, it's very much it's it's you know you'll hear it and you just go, well, that doesn't sound that hard. But in fact, coming up with it is, as I say, very much about a balancing act. And there's um, you know de- definitely I sort of took you know I, what I what I did is I used my recollection of their theme, which of course is now in the film because it's you know it was recreated for the film. But I didn't rather than go and listen to it and see what that spoke. To me, uh, I instead just allowed my recollection of it from you know 30 years ago to do the speaking for me because it's it's actually more interesting that way. You, you your own personality takes over rather than being slavish to something which already exists. Mm. And uh, so there are there are little qualities in the music which definitely reference um, my recollection of the the dance of the cuckoos, the the Stan and Ollie theme. And, and um, but but I wouldn't really say that the music has a strong 30s or 50s feel to it. Um, it just has enough, uh, you know, classic orchestra feel to not, in order to connect the dots, in order to enable us to both feel um, that it's a contemporary film and has a uh, sort of a historic quality to it. Mm. I'm not very <laughs> I'm not very good at talking about it. <laughs> Um, but that was, you know, because I'm talking myself in riddles. But 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 you probably know what I mean. I mean, it's, yeah, it's somewhere between the two, or or it's a bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how then? How do you go? Um, because the the process sounds. It, it's like you've got a million things um, kind of going through your head at once. And, and I was wondering, the process of putting a score together. How do you go from that blank bit of paper to a to a finished score? You're just try things out. Actually, I mean, it's it's you know. Um, but when people talk about getting writer's block, I think, you know, they're just not throwing enough terrible ideas at the wall. You know, that's that's what you need to do is just keep on throwing absolute, you know, not judging it until later, but just mm. throwing lots of ideas up and seeing what happens. Um, I mean, I think pretty much the first thing I wrote was actually the opening title sequence, which is unusual, actually, because normally, you know, I'd look for a, a, a meaty piece of the narrative to work on. But... Uh, for some reason, I just liked the idea of just writing music to those titles. And uh, so I came up with, um, uh, I think, three different versions. And then one of them was so clearly much better than the other two. And that uh, became the uh, the main theme of the film and the, and the main theme that connects the two of them. It's about their friendship. Mm. Um, but, but, yeah, you just have to throw throw ideas at it and just try them out and see... Um, what what is what works and what doesn't and um, and and yeah and then I mean, quite often what I, what I do is I I have an idea and I go this is this is it I think I found it and then I will find myself t- getting bored of the idea by the end of the day and just go yeah no that's not it and, yeah. and and so writing something else straight away and that's quite often the thing that stays but it's it's really just you know, being ready to have just lots and lots of ideas and then throw most of them out uh, because you've landed on something that really fits rather well. Have you ever kind of, um, you've had a couple of glasses of wine, you write something down and you think it's the best thing you've ever done. Next day, you look back at it and you realise it's absolute trash. Well, that's absolutely standard. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we, you don't actually need the wine. I mean, it just <laughs> happens anyway. You, you're coming up with ideas. But um yeah, I mean that's just to be honest, that's part of the process. Yeah. Um, coming up, yeah, just uh, 
I, I sometimes think that um, being a composer is really just exercising taste. And um, what you end up with is um, you're, you're exercising taste on the sort of 99 different thoughts you had, realizing that 98 of them are awful. And, um, and that's it. So that's why you end up with the one you like. Yeah. Now, how long did it take then to get the score for Stan and Ollie? I think we did it in two months, something like that. Um, yeah. Uh, I actually live really close. Uh, in, when I'm in Los Angeles, I live, I live five minutes walk from the Music Box Steps, which is oh, wow. where Laurel and Hardy were the piano movers up and down this staircase. Yeah. And, um, and so I was actually writing there, but we recorded it in London. And, um, but yeah, I think it was about two months from beginning to end. Mm. Do you, do you find you have a a favourite studio? Like, do you go to London to record all of your scores, or is it just wherever the studio sends you? Um, I well, it's, it's largely wherever the studio sends me, yeah. and uh, it varies. But uh, sorry, there's a noise going on in the background. I'm trying to shut that out. Yeah, it's it really it's really down to the studio. Um, a lot of the time, uh, in this particular case. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a natural that we should come to London. I love recording in London, and um, uh, the musicians are you know, world class. Uh, I quite like recording in Los Angeles sometimes as well. Um, it's just get trickier um, yeah. recording there these days. Um, but uh, London is is superb, and um, and and my uh, the engineers are funnier. <laughs> I like working with funny engineers. Uh, so, do you uh, do you prefer to work with like a massive orchestra, um, or do you do you enjoy being a little bit more kind of stripped back and and simple? I, I like it all actually. The um, the uh, you know, sometimes the the guiding thing is uh, you know to do something completely different to the last one. The, I love working with a big orchestra, but no one remembers the music from a big orchestra. Whereas if you do it something with the, you know, a classic example for me is uh, the um, uh, Thomas Newman wrote two scores pretty much at the same time. He did American Beauty, which lots of people remember. It has a very distinctive score and it has yeah. five musicians on it. And at the same time, he did uh, The Green Mile, which is an amazing film, but but the music is not anything like as remembered mm. as to American Beauty. So there's something about the small group, you know, and, you know, my, my score to Sideways definitely, um, you know, has, has a much bigger fan base than you know, most of my orchestral scores. Mm. So uh, I love doing the big orchestral thing. It's such an interesting and nuanced experience. And, and it sounds so sort of, can sound so gorgeous and majestic. But in terms of, uh, who's going to remember it? I think it's often uh, more exciting to do a very small ensemble kind of group, mm. and, um, and 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 it has a greater intimacy. I think people tend to tune out the big orchestras because they, you know, because it's just kind of wallpaper. Whereas yeah. if you've got you know one saxophone and one banjo, you'll really notice it. Yeah, I guess it it brings the audience in a little bit more as a big orchestral score kind of keeps you. Um, on the outside watching, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the idea is probably a sort of a, a bit of both. Mm. You know, I was thinking recently about uh, Michael Kamen's scores and uh, particularly the uh, Baron Munchausen score. 
and it has uh, it has so so many different things going on. It has these massive orchestral moments and tons of brass, and it also has these wonderfully odd. I mean, it's you know, it's, it's it's a very funny film, but it has these wonderfully odd um, small groups of instruments as well. And uh, I think that's perhaps the favourite way of approaching things is a, a little bit of both. Mm. So, who are your biggest influences? How what what made you think? Do you know what? I'm going to go into the movies. Oh well, that that would have been John Barry back in uh, you know too long ago, um, <laughs> because his his scores were just so uh, so beautifully sexily moody, and uh, they were very noir, I suppose is the right term. And mm. um, and I'm particularly thinking of sort of the the, the Bond films and things like. Um, uh, well, I suppose it was really the Bond films. I mean, you know, there's also the knack and how to, and and things like that. Um, mm. I couldn't get enough of John Barry back in my teens, and uh, so that was absolutely alluring to me. And I also think because um, you know I was a bit intimidated by big orchestral works, and then I remember looking at the Tchaikovsky score and realizing that it was actually quite quite simple. Um, you know, really only like two or three things happening. When you think of the, you know, the you know, dance of the sugar plum fairy and things like that, they're sort of they're actually very poppy and and simple. And then I listened to John Barry and realised he was kind of the same. He was the the arrangement wasn't terribly, you know, uh, uh, difficult. Mm. Uh, it made it made sense, and I and I thought, oh, I could I can actually do that. Whereas you look at Beethoven or or something like you know much more. Or Mahler, and no, I can't. <laughs> Certainly, you know, I, <clears throat> back then, mm. I would have, that, that would have intimidated the hell out of me. <laughs> but um, but John Barry, you just go. He's got an arpeggiating thing going on. He's got a chord um, going on, and he's got a melody, and that's it. Now you and, and and you think of things like Cry the Beloved Country or Out of Africa. And that's that's essentially his arrangement, mm. and um, and it works fantastically well. So uh, I, I, I also credit John Barry with you know his his arrangements with um, letting me think that that was actually possible. I could I could do that because I don't have classical training. So it was really just a question of figuring out what did I think I could really do. So what is your background then? How did you get into composing? Well, at the age of twelve, I wanted to be a film composer, but um, you know I I taught myself guitar and uh, I played in bands mm. and dreamed one day of converting that into being a film composer and I went to university but I, I studied psychology and um, but somehow or other you know the pull was always there and um, so you know partly through uh, friends in the uh, the university theatre group and doing music for, for theatre I found myself sort of slowly moving into uh, the realm I wanted to be in and um, it's very slow. I mean, like it was very much one rung on the ladder at a time. And it, it, so it took a few years. Um, but, you know, it, the the opportunities seem to turn up. And also the technology um, sort of advanced in such a way that you could actually experiment with sounds. You know, I, I remember getting my first French horn sample. So you're, you've got a keyboard and you're playing it. And what you're hearing his French horns, and of course, one of the classic John Barry sounds is the way he used French horns, and you know, just brought, you know, it made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up and go, oh, I can play in these waters. 
So it was uh, it, it, the, the the fact of the technology coming up and enabling you to play with sounds an experiment. So you I had no orchestration teaching, but I could actually try the sounds out and see how they would blend and and manifest. Do you think that that those kind of technological advances have changed what we expect from a film score as well? Because you look at something like um, uh, what Atticus Frost did for uh, The Social Network, and that doesn't feel like something that would have been totally possible to do sort of 20, 30 years ago. Even though it's quite simple, it just it feels very, very current. And yeah, well, I think I think all of filmmaking and story and and, that, and storytelling has been massively influenced by uh, the way that technology and uh, media have changed. So, I mean, the way films are edited is very different now um, in terms of pace, in terms of the kinds of shots. The nature of CGI, I mean, when we're talking about um, film scores, it's sort of the audio equivalent of CGI. I mean, we, we're quite often using sounds which either never existed or we're stacking sort of sounds in such a way that it would be impractical to do it with a live group but mm. you can do it with you know you want you want 3000 french horns you can have, <laughs> you can absolutely do that it may not be a very good sound but but if that's what you want you can now make that happen yeah um so yeah it's certainly changed all of that i mean i, I think it's changed our expectations sometimes in a disappointing way um in that people now have uh you know great range of orchestral sounds available to them but they use them in rather boring ways mm. and you start thinking oh that's what an orchestra sounds like and it's really not um but uh, so it's a double-edged sword i mean we've got the great access to possibility and certainly when it comes to writing be able to experiment with uh, the, the the actual orchestral sounds is fantastic mm. but you still need the imagination i mean i think of like bernard herman's scores and he would write things for sort of 13 harps. Now, I don't know anybody else who really writes in that way anymore. And that was clearly that he had, an, he, he had a concept and then made it happen rather than what have I got on my keyboard? I'll use that. Mm. And I think a lot of the time now, it's just people using what's, what's easy to, to push a button for. Whereas uh, what we really... What, what great art comes from is people who have a, a, a concept and then figure out how to ma how to make that work. Yeah. So um, Stan and Ollie, I, I mean, I I love the score. I think it fits uh, wonderfully in, within the story. It's it's not too much. Um, it's it you kind of get it just right. I'm really big fan of the film. Um, but where where does the score for you fit amongst all of your other work? Yeah, I'm, I'm so the wrong person to ask because I really don't know. I'm not a worst judge of my own work. It's, uh, I mean, I've seen the film finished. Um, I'm very happy with the way it was mixed. Um, uh, it seems very, uh, very, it's, it's quite um, melodic and I'm very pleased with that and it has some nice humor to it. Um, and um, so where does it belong? I don't know. I, mean, it's, it's, I think it's, it's not atypical of me. And in a way, you know, you always want to do something quite different to what you've done before. Um, and this one, I would say, is is a very, very nice, very uh, complete manifestation of my personality in some ways. Um, so uh, I think it belongs, you know, well in there, quite where I'm not entirely sure. Fair enough. Uh, that's very uh, diplomatic of you about yourself. Uh, <laughs> 
but, uh, so what, what's next? Now you've done this, uh, what, what's coming up? Oh, um, I've got quite a busy winter, actually. I've got uh, um, a number of things coming up. Um, probably I, I not, nothing. I don't have any release dates for anything. So uh, I can't really tell you what to expect when. Um, but I've got uh, three directors, none of whom I've worked with before. And, um, and, uh, and to be honest, I've never had three films lined up before. Um, it's kind of an extraordinary place to be, um, but they're all they're all very different and very exciting, um, and I'm not going to tell you what they are, <laughs> because, because you never know. You never know how things are going to pan out. But Fair um, but I'm excited. I'm excited. Cool. Well, I will uh, I will keep a, a, a keen eye out for your future work, uh, as I'm sure everyone else will. Um, but yeah, I love Stan and Ollie. I love your work. Um, I didn't realize until I was researching this interview just how much I I, I love your work. <laughs> so thank you. And oh, well, been... thank you. That's very sweet of you to say. You're welcome. Uh, and it's been great talking to you. Thanks, Rolf. Thank you. Thank Take you very care. much. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Liam Heffernan's interview with the composer of Stan and Ollie, Rolf Kent. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and now newly on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and support. And if you're inclined, head on over to our Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.